I'm Eric Wilson. I'm actually um, so humbled to preach the word this morning because this church is a church that champions younger, I can't say young anymore, but younger people, young leaders, and um, pastors don't just cling to the pulpit here. You know what I'm saying? So I get to preach this morning. It's so amazing to be at a church that, that grows young people. I, I want to say that I'm still young, although uh, the other day I, um, somebody t- called me middle age. <laughs> I was at CVS getting... Um, allergy medicine for the first time, middle age. Uh, just months after I got glasses for the first time, middle age. And my back was out, middle age. And so hopefully I'm not middle aged yet. I'm still ripe 32, but it, um, you know, it might feel that way a little bit. So um, anyway, we're in a series called Gathering Wood. Um, and it's hard to figure out what in the world that means. What does gathering wood mean? It's kind of weird. At face value, you wouldn't know, but we believe as a church that God is moving and an awakening at this time, that God um, wants to pour out a spirit, like we just sang, a fresh anointing, and gathering wood is this idea of a bonfire coming. Amen? There's a bonfire coming, and so what do we do? We, wanna be, we don't want to be people that just find out as it's happening and rush to get there and then miss it. We want to be people that have wood in our hands that we go and place at the place, and the Lord will pour out fire. We want to be people ready. It's an investment, isn't it? Gathering wood is an investment. This is what we do before we do. And the first week, um, John, uh, uh, Pastor John preached a wonderful message about repentance and conviction, so we turn from our sin. The second week, Jonathan Coleman gave a beautiful sermon about big prayers, about intimacy with God, about seeking the Lord, about being one with him, about spending time with him. And this week, we're going to talk about holiness. Holiness is one of my favorite topics. In fact, John let me choose any week, and I didn't hesitate. I just pointed to this one, and he was like, I already had your name down for that week. So this is my thing, y'all. Holiness is my thing. I grew up in a holiness family. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we are holiness people. You might not know what Wesleyan heritage is or Methodist heritage or any of that, but Wesley was a holiness guy. We're holiness people. In fact, the first great awakening, which was a revival, happened because of holiness. We're holiness. That's our heritage. But the problem is, is that over time, holiness has uh, got, you know, gained some baggage. You know, we, we almost think of it negatively now. Um, it's been associated with some movements that weren't so biblical, that are associated with legalism, and holiness people might not mean exactly what it used to mean when Wesley was a holiness person. So today, we're going to unpack holiness. Holiness is the hardest word you could receive this morning, and it's the most beautiful word you, can, you could receive this morning. It's the hardest thing we deal with, and it's also the best gift you've ever received. So um, before we unpack holiness, we have to... Um, hit some fundamentals. You see, f- holiness, holiness doesn't make sense unless you lay down the groundwork. We can't just hit the holiness passages this morning. We have to, we have to set down the groundwork. So we're going to um, um, get there. But this is my thesis for this morning. This is it here, and this is what we're going to unpack. Holiness is not just a set of rules. Holiness is freedom from bondage and a new identity. Amen? Holiness is a crucial part of being a follower of Christ. Holiness is a precursor to fruit and revival. Amen? So what is holiness? Well, holiness can be best described as the identity of God. God is holy. That's where holiness comes from. So if you want to know what holiness is, look to God. God is holy. He's pure. He's righteous. He's good. He's unique. He's eternal. He's set apart. And now if we're gonna, I'm going to move through these pretty fast. So track with me. And now if God is holy, 
then we must make sure that we're talking about the right God, right? Because a lot of people have a lot of different gods on this earth. And so if we just say God ambiguously, then any God could be holy. But there's one God that's holy. It's the one true God. It's Yahweh, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. That is the God that is holy. And the one place that we know um, to look for um, our knowledge of God, the best place for knowledge of God is the Bible. The, since the Bible is the knowledge of God, then we also look towards the Bible and the Bible alone for our knowledge of holiness. So we're unpacking this here. One true God, He's holy. Our knowledge of holiness comes from the Bible because that's the knowledge of God. The next, the next one is only God has the authority to decide what is holy. No one else in heaven and on earth has the authority to decide what is holy. Why? Because God's the creator. God is the man. He is the one who was before time, space, and matter. He is holiness, so he decides what holiness is. You see, over time, humanity uh, tries to make its way into that spot um, above their pay grade, and because of change, because of society, because of culture, humanity starts to redefine what good is, what holiness is, but God is eternal. He's always. He is the same throughout the ages. And so holiness is the same throughout the ages. Holiness doesn't change. Nothing can be holy apart from God because God is holiness. Anything outside of God or outside of what he deems holy is not holy. Holiness is reserved for godly entities. Does that make sense? Nothing else can be holy. This one's interesting. Holiness is dangerous for what is not holy. Got to let that sink in for a second. Holiness is dangerous for what is not holy. The holiness of God destroys what isn't holy. In fact, the whole Bible depicts this story of the fact that from the beginning to the end, God is creating a new heaven and a new earth. He's creating what's called a new Jerusalem. And at the end, only holiness and purity remain. All else is destroyed. Everything that's not holy is on its way sooner or later to destruction. And the Old Testament foreshadows this. There's prophecy around this all over the place. And one of those places is when God chose the Israelites as this holy people he decreed that they would build a tent of meeting, a place for worship, a place for sacrifice. And at the very center of that place uh, was a place called, go figure, the Holy of Holies. Doesn't that work for the sermon today? The Holy of Holies. This was a place for the very presence of God on the earth. It was consecrated as holy. But the thing about this place is it was dangerous. It was dangerous because only one man at one given time, once a year, in a certain way, with certain cleansing, could enter this place to sacrifice for himself and to sacrifice for others. And if it was outside of those parameters, what happened to anybody that would walk into the Holy of Holies? They would die. They would die. You see, holiness is dangerous for what is unholy. So if holiness is dangerous for what is unholy, then we have a problem, don't we? You know why? Because humanity is unholy. Humanity is corrupt. It's impure. This is a fundamental, this is a fundamental pillar of our faith. As Wesleyan heritage, as Methodist heritage, Orthodox faith says that 
Humanity is corrupt. That's a hard, you remember I said it's the hardest word we could receive this morning and the best word we could receive. It's corrupt. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. You see, God set parameters. He set standards. He set rules because he's the one that gets to do that. We, we, we established that, and humanity fell short, didn't it? And in fact, the Bible says that everybody in this room has fallen short. Romans 3.23 says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And if we establish that the Bible is our knowledge of holiness, then that is what says holiness is. And so we know who can say that they've, they've um, uh, stood up to the standard of the Bible. I don't think anybody in here can. Holiness destroys what is holy. It's been the problem all along. In fact, holiness came as a flood in the Old Testament. God's righteousness came. It was a foreshadowing of that new creation that we were talking about. There was an ark that was built for those who were pure. There weren't very many of them, were there? And he destroyed all of humanity. God chose the Israelites to be his chosen people. And time after time, after time, after time, they disobeyed. He kept giving them chance after chance. And you know what happens, and this is the scary part, is that even if you know the standards of God, humanity gets so sick of trying to stand up to it that they just start calling what is evil good. It gets tiring to fail, doesn't it? It gets tiring. So we just, oh, you know what? It, it, it wasn't possible anyway. We're just going to accept that this is good now. This happened in the book of Jeremiah. It's one of my favorite books. I don't know why. It's kind of sickening, actually, because it's one of the hardest books to read in the Bible because it's, it's one of my favorite. I don't know. I like hard stuff. That's why I'm preaching on holiness this morning. But in the book of Jeremiah, it's about the Israelites who were a chosen people. They were set apart by God, and they were practicing all the sin you could ever imagine. They were uh, sexually immoral. They were committing adultery. Guys, they were sacrificing babies to false gods. And here's the kicker. This is the crazy part. While they were doing that, they were heading to temple to worship and pray. And while they were at the temple worship, uh, to worship and pray, they were declaring that they were at peace with God. They were saying, we're a chosen nation. We're holy before him, so we're fine. And even their, their pastors, they weren't pastors, but that's, that's how we understand it. Even their religious leaders said, they prophesied falsely, we're at peace with God because we're a chosen nation. And there was a man named Jeremiah who was a prophet that God sent to warn them, and they didn't listen. And all the while, God was um, preparing an enemy nation called Babylon to come and destroy them. People aren't holy, are they? They can't live up to what God has set before them, the standard. But uh, we're people of good news, aren't we? Are we people of good news? We can shake it off a little bit. We're people of good news. We have a solution, don't we? Jesus came and died the death that we deserve so we could be holy. Amen. Can we give a clap for that? Because it's, it's a hard word, but now it's a good word. This is the only possible way for us to be holy. It's the only one. We establish that corruption can't approach holiness because it's dangerous. But what happens when holiness approaches corruption? We establish that corruption dies when it goes towards holiness. But what happens when holiness goes to corruption and dies? Everything changes. Humanity couldn't approach divinity so divinity approached humanity. That's the good news. He reached out and grabbed all the sin and corruption and death in the world and brought it to its defeat. Only God could do this. The corruption 
can't save the corrupt, can they? It's a lateral move. If you add something impure to something impure, it's what? It's impure. But you take something pure and add it to the corruption, it can become pure. This is what Jesus did. I lost my spot. Come on. I tried this iPad thing, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> so, holiness doesn't give us salvation. It used to. That used to be the standard. But now, salvation gives us holiness. Amen? We don't have to earn salvation by being holy or righteous anymore. We can only be righteous or holy by salvation. The minute we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, as our King, we become holy. We become righteous. We were one thing, now we're another. Then God no longer sees our corruption. He sees his son's perfection. We trade our corrupt identity for the perfect identity of the Lord. This is the most amazing gift in the world, amen? The most amazing gift that was ever given. However, there's another problem, isn't there? You don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to tell you. Now that we are saved and holy, what do we do with sin after salvation? What do we do with sin after salvation? We're holy people, but we continue to do unholy things, don't we? Where we are, there our flesh is. We still have a worldly entity attached to us. We are holy, but we're fleshly. And this is where things get hairy. This is where things get disputed. This is where the church starts to fight. What exactly happens here? This is, this is where holiness gets, gets funny. Uh, is God mad at us when we sin after salvation? Do we remain saved when we sin after salvation? These are the things that we all ask inside of our heads, but we don't want to admit that we don't know the answers to, so we just kind of hope for the best, right? That's what I do. I don't know about you guys. Doesn't it seem fair that if we accept Jesus and if his grace is all sufficient that we could continue to do the things that we want to do? Doesn't it cover a multitude of sins? Well, interestingly, Paul gives us the answer to this. It's actually pretty clear. If you, if you read it, it's in Romans 6. And before Romans 6 happens, 1 through 5, Paul basically, I stole material, by the way. Paul basically establishes everything I've already established in this message. He establishes that we're corrupt. He establishes that God is giving us up to ourselves because we won't listen. He establishes that all have fallen short. Remember, we, we read that verse earlier. He establishes that Jesus Christ came, and by grace and by faith, we can accept him, and that the law is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that we're freed from the law. All of these chapters, there's more. Uh, read it yourself. But we're going to read um, verse 6, and it starts with this famous line. Uh, you'll recognize it when I read it, I hope. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What does it say? By no means. We're saved by grace, but we shouldn't go on sinning. I'm going to read some more. Hey, we're going to read some more. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live at it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we, if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in the resurrection like his. Amen? For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, 
Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Hop to verse 12 here. Therefore, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. There's a whole lot there, isn't there? Let's do a recap because there's a whole lot. We partner, number one, we partner with Christ's death and resurrection, which means that when Jesus died, so did we. When he rose up, so did we. So we have the benefit of his death, which means that our sin is gone, and we have the benefit of his resurrection, which means we are new life, which is number two. We have new life. Number three, we're no longer slaves to sin. We were shackled by sin and death. We're no longer slaves to it. Number four, we've been set free from the power of sin. Amen. Number five, we shouldn't give ourselves to sin, which leads to death, but fully to God, which leads to life. We still have a choice, don't we? He's given us free will post-salvation. We could still give ourselves to sin and death. Number six, you now live under the freedom of God's grace. Number seven, you continue to be a slave to whatever you obey. So holiness is a gift, isn't it? It's a new identity. It is, in fact, that you are a new creation. You're a new creation. Holiness isn't a set of rules. It's freedom from bondage. It's the identity of Christ given to us. It's so much more than a set of rules. We don't sin post-salvation, not because we're trying to live up to a certain standard. It's because we've been set free. Amen? You are now the image of Christ, continuing to do the things of this world once you are saved it's like being freed from captivity and putting chains back on your feet. Now, this is the main point I want to share. This is the good news this morning, and this is, this is what we want to unpack. We have a new identity. This is why we don't continue to sin. And don't let the cliché-ness of a new identity let this fall on deaf ears this morning. Church, we are an actual new creation in Christ performed by the king of the universe. So what is this new identity? It's the identity of Christ, of the king of the universe. It's holiness. We said that at the beginning, God is holy. And now we have his identity, so we're holy. If we continue to, to look at ourselves as who we were before salvation, then of course we're going to keep on sinning because that's how we see ourselves. We're going to keep doing the things we're used to doing, but we need to see ourselves as a new creation, a new identity. Oh, church, that we would realize who we are in Christ. I'm going to read some things from the word. I'm going to speak this over you this morning, that it would enter your heart, that it would recreate your idea of holiness and your identity this morning. Church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's First Peter, Second Corinthians, one of my favorites. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. I'm going to jump down. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become, this is 
the most baffling part to me. We might become the righteousness of God. Can you believe that? Didn't we establish that we were a corrupt nation? And we went from death and corruption to God's righteousness. We are the righteousness of God. Amen? Romans 8. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs to God and co-heirs with Christ. We're co-heirs with Christ, the king of the universe. All of his inheritance is our inheritance, all because of the sacrifice. This is reframing our mind on what holiness is and why we live differently once we receive this beautiful gift. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Do you remember when I shared the Holy of Holies, that place that was dangerous for the unclean? When Jesus died, did you know that there was a veil separating the Holy of Holies with the rest of the world and that thing split in two? Did you know that the very presence of God left that place and entered all the people of God? Did you know that? Did you know that you walk now as the Holy of Holies, that place that was dangerous for the impure? We walk with it. It's inside of us now. We have the very Holy Spirit, the living God within us. You're a new creation, church. We've been tethered to Christ. We were separated from God, and now we're not just with him. We are him. We have him in us. We're tethered to him. He's the king of the universe. Everything that has breath praises him. Every knee will bow at the end of the age to this man. He's the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, and all of heaven worships him. Holy, holy, holy is the one who was and who is and who is to come. And the word says that we get to sit on the throne with him. The word says that we're co-heirs with this man. We were dead, and now we're a new creation. Holiness means we get to be like the king of the universe. The good news isn't that we have to be like Christ. The good news is that we get to be like Christ. Freedom means that we get to stop sinning because we are free from its power. We're a new creation. We don't belong here anymore, do we? No, we don't. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. Church, we're not going to be excited about this gift unless we really solidify this fact, this next fact. Sin leads to death. I don't think we want to deal with that one. Sin leads to death. And here's where I'm going to let up on us just a little bit because I want to be clear. This, I'm not trying to say that sin doesn't happen after salvation. Okay, I, I, I can feel it even as I'm talking. I'm not saying that we never sin, but there's a difference because there are two ways to go. There's a way that leads to death, and then there's a way that leads to life. And when you're walking towards death, that means you're subscribing to the world, you're accepting the world, you're saying that evil is good, you're saying this is what's right, and this is where I'm going. And sometimes the church even says, I'm following Christ, and they're walking this way. That's not how it works. But when we walk the other way, this means that we have righteousness in our view. This means that we want to be holy. This is the John Wesley version of salvation. He says you're righteous when you believe in Christ, and then you become righteous. There's two things happening at once. We are holy now because we're saved, and then we're walking into perfection and holiness. So this is where we're going. And what happens then is Christ is with us. So what happens when you slip up? He's right there, and he pulls you back up, and you're continuing to go. This is what we need to do as Christians. Walk this way. Be people of holiness. But we have to, we have to say it for what it is. Sin leads to death. Even in salvation, sin leads to death, doesn't it? It leads to the death of our marriages. 
It leads to the death of our kids. It leads to the death of our conviction, our prayer life, our softness of heart. It leads to the death of our ministries, our friendships, our bodies. Sin leads to death. We can't be stuck at salvation. So much of the church is stuck at salvation, isn't it? It's like they got a ticket and they're sitting at the bus stop waiting for the bus to come. There's so much more in this earth. The Lord wants to perfect us in holiness. So here's a chart. I'm going to show you a chart. I felt all sorts of conviction as I put this chart together. I was like, oh, even me, Lord, don't, you know. So we establish, we start with the corruption, we move on to salvation, and then we have a choice. So we're either going to go from corruption to salvation unto holiness and sanctification, or we're going to go from corruption to salvation to continuing to live like the world. And here's what happens when we continue to live like the world. Church, you're going to be confused. It's true. You're going to be at war with yourself, double-mindedness. You're thinking one thing and thinking another all at the same time. Your life is going to be mundane. You're going to be stuck. This is where anxiety comes in. But then, if we walk towards holiness and sanctification, it's not saying that it's perfect, but you understand what I'm saying. That's where fruit comes. This is where intimacy with God comes. The closer we get to him, the more we know him, we know his voice. He can use us. This is where the harvest comes. This is where revival comes. We have purpose. We have peace, abundant life. I want to unpack this war with self thing a little bit. Those who are saved and continue to live like the world will be at war with themselves. Why will they be at war with themselves? Well, because there are two nations. There's a nation of this world and there's a nation of heaven. And that these nations are at war with each other right now. This is what the word of God says. And what happens is, as we go and we step on the border of these two nations, and we try to be a part of this nation, and we try to be a part of this nation, and what happens is that now we're at war with ourselves because our flesh is fighting and the spirit of God is fighting. And we have the choice on whether to walk this way or this way. But what happens when this happens is that the church becomes preoccupied with themselves. We're going to be looking at ourselves over and over again, trying to work things out all the time instead of moving over here into the new nation, the new creation that we've developed, right? Because we're new in Christ, and now we have freedom, and now we're going to walk and do the things of the Lord because we're not confused anymore. Does that make sense? We're not at war with ourselves over here. We've given up our passport to the world, and we've gotten a new passport for heaven. Can't have both. Can't have both. So let's get practical a little bit. If, if you're here today, and this is a process, there's grace, but again, we're going to walk this way. If you are trusting in your security on earth, there is no security on earth. We established this, right? Earth is being made new. It's going to be destroyed and built again. So everything that you want security here, it'll be gone one day. And there's no point in having security here when you've been bought with a price and you have security in heaven and eternity with Jesus Christ, amen? This doesn't fail. He doesn't fail. If you're indulging in your flesh this morning, if you're looking at things of this world, if you're putting things in your body of this world, if, if you're indulging in this world, take up your new place in the kingdom of God. Start indulging in the king. We couldn't indulge in him before. You see, we were separated, but now we're over here, and we're going to start indulging in Jesus and stop indulging in the things of the world because we've been made new, amen? This is why we stop sinning after salvation. It's because we've been given a new place 
You're a holy temple now. You're the presence of God. That stuff doesn't belong here. That stuff doesn't belong in here. You're a temple of the Most High. Amen? Are, are you, this is a hard one here. Are you living for your position in the place of this world? Why? Doesn't it seem crazy now that we're unpacking this? Now, why would you live for position over here in the thing that's, that's dying when he seated you in position over all of creation over here? We have position with Jesus here. The word says that he's seated us on the throne with him. We've been seated on the throne with the king of kings and the creator of all the universe. Why would we seek position over here? So church, I want to just call us to take up our new identity, to rise up to our holy place, to not forsake the gift that's given. We're a holy people, so let's walk in holiness. Let's stop looking like the world and start looking like the kingdom that we're a part of now. Let's represent our Lord. We don't belong here anymore. We aren't people of death. We're, we're people of life. And this is what brings us to this idea of gathering wood. Because holiness or a lack of holiness is a ceiling for revival. It is. That is why when John Wesley and the, the others started this holiness movement, it blew up. That's why we saw a revival at Asbury, which is a Wesleyan School, and I don't know if you saw in all the pictures, what was across the altar? It said, holiness unto God. That's what it says on the altar at Asbury in that, in that place where revival broke out. How can we expect to do works of the kingdom if we aren't living like citizens of the kingdom? It won't do any good to ask for fresh wind unless we have our sails lifted high. And living in the world, our sails are down. But we want to catch the wind of God. So in holiness, we put up our sails and open them wide so that when the wind of God comes, we catch the wind. In holiness, we're ready for a movement of God. Church, we want revival in our families, don't we? Amen? Don't we, don't we want the revival to start there? Listen, the enemy in the world is after our kids. Don't you see it? The enemy in the world is after our kids. The enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy our kids. And church, if we remain here they're going to be confused. If we're, if we're coming to church on Sunday proclaiming the kingdom, but then we're going home and we're living like the world, they're going to be confused. We need to show them freedom from sin. Amen. We need to show them prayer at home. We need to show them worship at home. We need to be like Christ so that they believe in Christ. I pray every single night over my kids, Lord, set my kids apart. Make these kids holy before you, Lord God. Not in legalism, but in freedom. I want my kids to be free. I want them to know him. I want them to know their identity in Jesus. I want them to walk in faith. I want them to see revival. I want them to do the things of heaven and not be stuck in the world. Amen? People that are holy are people that God can trust. God's looking for ambassadors of Jesus. He he can't give assignment to those who are going to take the assignment and and show the world. He can give assignment to those who are going to take the assignment and show Christ. Amen? He's looking for those who he can trust. It's Pentecost. Hopefully you know a little bit about what happened that day. It was an amazing day in the church. Well, it was the day the church was born. So it was an amazing day for the church because it became the church. Um, But the Spirit of God poured out on earth and all flesh. And forgive me for saying this, but Peter 
shared just about the most mediocre sermon I've ever seen, and definitely the most mediocre sermon in the Bible, and then 3,000 men come to Christ. Amen? Like, how does that happen? He preaches on Joel 2. It's very short, and probably more than 3,000 men came to Christ because um, they only counted men at that time. So this is a multitude of, this is a revival. This is amazing. This is what happened, and it was the Spirit of God that, 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 that poured out, and this is why this happened. This is what we're praying for today, isn't it? We want the power of God to pour out so much that we can preach mediocre sermons like this one, and 3,000 people would come to Christ. Amen? Amen I don't want, hey, I asked C for at least, <laughs> I asked C for at least one amen, brother, and he gave it to me. Thank you, brother. <laughs> he was doing the coffee bar. Thank you for making it light in here on the sermon on holiness. I appreciate that. But no, that's what we want. It's not about us. We can't bring people to Christ and have a revival over here. We need the Spirit of God. We need God to do it. We can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. So that's what we pray for. But there's this passage of Scripture that struck me lately. It's the prophecy of Pentecost. It's when Jesus tells his followers that this is what he's going to do. I'm going to read it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him, as we established before, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you do know him, for he abides with, this is crazy, he abides with you, but then he will be in you. Amen? Jesus has given us, did you catch it? Jesus has given us a prerequisite for a move of God for a filling of the Holy Spirit. I didn't read the whole chapter, but three times he says this in a very short amount of time. What did he say? He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What's holiness? Keeping his commandments. He said, I'm going to unpack these three. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Keep my commandments, and I will send you another advocate. Number two, if you love me and you keep my commandments and I will love him and reveal myself to him, keep my commandments and I will reveal myself to you. My, uh, keep my commandments and my father will love him and we, I love this, we, the, God, the father and the son, we will come make a home with you. Church, what if, what if holiness is what we need for revival? What if what if everything that we're praying for is actually readily available right now, but we're just living in a different place? Amen? What if, what if we're waiting on God, but God's waiting on us? What if in a place of holiness, what if in a place of re renewal, what if in a place of new identity and new creation, we actually step into the will of God and empower, and we start to see miracles and healings and wonders? You see, the, the disciples went out before, and they couldn't do it. And then Pentecost happened. Keep my commandments. And I will send a spirit, an advocate. We want an ab advocate this morning, don't we? We want something that can enter in. We want something that can create a new uh, ideal for us, a new place for us. We want fruit. We want a harvest of the lost. We want to see people come to Christ. God, uh, church, we need to become holy. We need to surrender. And it's not to earn his love. It's a gift. It's because he's given us new position in the heavenly realms. He's seated us with Jesus. I just want it to sink in. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. Can we commit to this together? What if, 
our church committed to holiness? Do you think that maybe the bloodline of Wesleyanism would come alive again? Do you think that the the heritage we live in of uh, awakening would come alive again because we commit ourselves to holiness? I do. I believe it could happen. So I'm going to open up the altar this morning, and I have three prayer points. I think you got them on the screen there, maybe, or maybe not. Yeah. Today, church, if you haven't received salvation, do it today. We're corrupt and chasmic with God, but today you can become holy. You can become one with Christ. Come forward and do that. Number two, commit yourself to holiness and step into your new identity in Christ. Renew your mind about holiness. It's not a set of rules. Become holy with the Lord. Step into the new creation. This is a prayer point. I'm going to pray this over us. And then together we're going to petition for a move of God in our midst. Ask the Lord for an outpouring of the Spirit to come. Can we do that? And and if you want to just commit to the Lord, if you want to receive salvation today, if you want to commit to holiness, I just want you to come forward. And I want you to make that proclamation today and, and, and lean in. I'd love to pray with you after this service as well. So go ahead and come up, team, and I'm just going to pray. Lord God, thank you for the gift of holiness. Thank you that it's the hardest word we'll receive all year, but it's also the best word we'll receive all year. Thank you that it's a gift. Thank you that you're calling us to be like you, Lord God. Thank you that you've given us a way. Thank you that you died on a cross. Thank you that you resurrected and gave us new life. Thank you that our sin died with you, Lord God. Do it in us, Lord. I pray for this church that we would step into holiness, that we would become holy before you, that we would become citizens of a new kingdom, that we would forsake the kingdom of this world, and that we would live for you and you alone. And we pray, Lord God, that you would move in a mighty way. Jesus, we petition Blow through this place. Blow through our city, Lord God. Would you, would you make an awakening for the Lord? We pray for fruit. We pray for salvation. We pray for new creation. We pray for our families to fall more in love with you, Jesus, to walk with you. We pray for our kids. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.